And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition today. Verda, she wrote, buy and blow up with Bremen and say bye-bye to Bayer. Spain, Almeria, almost win a game. Netherlands, PSV's perfect run and why all the kids are wearing fresh Jordans. France, Lyon's Kareem dream. Italy, the return of one black and white success story and one recurring problem. And we salute Il Rombo di Tuono, Gigi Riva. It's the Totally Football Show. Tuesday, January 23rd. Wow. Yeah. It's Tony Football Show. Hello, we've got everyone here in the studio today. Listener, you're here. James Horncastle. Hi, James. Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. Hola. Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Yes. And Julian Laurence. Bonjour. All right. James, you slept well? <laughs> Very, James. Yeah. yeah. I haven't recently, but last nice. night, a good night's sleep. Jules, yeah. how about you? you Very well. Yeah, right. And this morning, I met Hector, who's one of our listeners. We were on the train together, but didn't know. All right. And I was on the phone and then he, so he heard the voice, recognized the voice. And yeah. we had a lovely chat, a big yeah. Western fan. So I wanted to give him a shout but out. Which okay. show was he listening to? Because you could hear your voice on multiple shows. I think he listens to all of my shows. Okay. And <laughs> but, but especially, <laughs> it's impossible. But this time he was listening yeah. to last week's edition of the pod. And I said, you know what? I'm actually going now to record this week's. So right. Perfect. Yeah, he was so exciting, Hector. Well done, Hector. Well done, It was lovely. So that's him and Will Still. That's it, yeah. That's both of them. The you met both. <laughs> All right. Okay. Alvaro, how did you sleep? Congratulations. Thank you and very you much. Yay! Yay! I slept well, thank you. Because mm. the little one is a saint so far. Christina. Christina. <laughs> hmm? Ah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. She's a, she behaves very well so far. That's so, super. Yeah, she's a saint. Santa Cristina. Yeah. Santa Cristina. She's a little saint. Excellent, Alvaro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, you said it four times. Yeah. It, you said no, it four times. But Jimbo seems not to understand it. No, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. James is an atheist. Far from it. Uh, Rafa, you're well. Good. Excellent. Uh, but yeah. Moment of the yeah. week for you. Ah. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's another Leverkusen goal. Yeah. Alejandro Grimaldos Ecke from the right side. Zieht den Ball in den Strafraum. Tor! Ja! 3 zu 2 für Bayern und 4. Das gibt's doch nicht. Das gibt's doch nicht. What, what can you do? You have to. Do you have to recognize the momentous occasion that uh, happened in Leipzig? One of those games where I'm sure Bayern were hoping, okay, the Leverkusen bandwagon is going to come to a halt. But no, uh, really late on, once again, they found a way. Pierre Hincapier. Capier. Capier. With the winner. And that puts Leverkusen 7 clear because Bayern, as you alluded to in your very fine intro, James, 
they uh, messed things up against Werder Bremen. Extraordinary convergence event. Hincapié's first goal since October 2022. Bayern's first defeat to Werder Bremen since 2008. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the first Ozil and Mertesacker playing for Werder. Wow. And Diego. Anyway, we'll get you don't know the, any of these players, do you? <laughs> Who are these names? They mean nothing to me. He wasn't presenting at that time. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that and the whole seven-point lead at the top of the table thing uh, soon enough. Jules, what about you? Well, you knew of Warren Zayremri, the PSG prodigy. Mm. Uh, I'm going to present you another one. Seni Mayulu, who played and scored for PSG in the Coupe de France game. Three 17-year-olds in the lineup. Yeah, that's mm. right. And also born in 06, like Zaire Amri for Mayulu. Mm. Paris born and bred as well. And a great future ahead of him. And Luis Enrique is a massive fan. So wow. well done to him. I think that's impressive. How about two 16s in the uh, lineup for Barcelona? Uh, yeah. Pau Cubarsi and Lamin Yamal. And Lamin Yamal is uh, already, we know who he is, but Pau Cubarsi, he's from the same generation as Lamin Yamal. Uh, he played in the European Under-17 a couple of months ago. And he did a very good job in Barcelona's defense. But mm. that is not my moment of the weekend. Oh, yes. there is Santa Cristina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's a saint. Um, uh, <laughs> Javier Are... No, sorry. Jesus Areso, a player from Osasuna. He scored an impossible goal. I don't know if you have seen it. Yeah. He scored it from the corner flag. Okay, fine. I know that you know that yeah. it's a bit accidental. It's a coincidence. But he scored from the corner flag. Right. The goalkeeper... I tell you, he wasn't misplaced or anything like that. Uh -huh. The goalkeeper, David Soria, from Getafe, didn't make a mistake. Uh -huh. And this player from Osasuna scored one of the most uh, uncanny goals of uh, the season. I mean, it's incredible, really. You have to watch it. I mean, with no angle whatsoever. You know, the Microsoft uh, software that... Uh, tells you the X goal, XG uh, mm. for this goal in La Liga, say that it was a 0.8%, which I disagree with. I think that the... the 0.8? Yeah, no. 0.8. I think that the possibility of scoring was even lower. lower 0.08. No, 0.08. 0 0.08. Yeah, 0.08. 0.08. Okay, yeah. then I, I, I could agree <laughs> with that one. I mean, yeah. Santa Cristina, yeah. she's the same. <laughs> so, wow, that's remarkable. Watch I look it. forward to seeing that after yeah. the show. James. Well, we'll talk about what happened in Udine in more detail on the Serie A bit. But um, on a theme of what you were talking about with Jules about PSG and all these young players and what Alvaro was saying about Barcelona, you know that Juventus, I think only Barca have started, or maybe it's only PSG, it's one of the two, have started more players born in 2006 or after. So the old lady has got much younger. All right, you know. they've rejuvenated. But they've rejuvenated nice. and yeah. they... It's not just tokenistic, let's give these kids a chance because players are injured. It's mm. because they have this project, their next generation team, which plays in the third division and has been there for the last five years. And it's started really to produce players and they've signed players for it. And it's kind of closed the gap between youth team and first team. But Juventus are currently top of the table in Serie A. It's the first time um, they have been alone at the top for an entire weekend uh, for, I think, three and a half years, mm. which... Considering Juventus won the league nine years in a row, many people thought it would not be this long uh, before they um, they were all alone uh, there. Obviously helped by the fact that Inter have been playing the Super Cup in Riyadh, which mm. they won on Monday night with a stoppage time goal from Lautaro Martinez. Right. Um, but Juventus no longer winning games by a nose, no. to use the equestrian 
uh, analogy mm. of uh, of a certain Allegri, but actually starting to score lots and lots of goals. 18 goals in the last five games, yeah. and a lot of them, five in the last three, I think, is it, from yeah. uh, Dusan Vlavic? Yes. We'll get on to that later on, because it's been quite the moment of the week already. Yeah. Uh, we're going to begin... <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> we're going to begin today with the other big news from Italy, which is Gigi Riva. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Riva! Sunday, one of Italy's greatest players ever left us, Gigi Riva, who passed away. Icon, legend, owner of the greatest nickname in football history, Il Rombo di Tuono. man who played and scored in the, the game of the century, a man who made Cagliari part of Italy, set unmatchable numbers for the Azzurri, and used to warm up by breaking small children's bones. <laughs> <We'll not laughs> with, his, with his shots, James. Yes, yeah. they were so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Broke a child's arm in three places yeah, during his warm-up for a Lazio game once. We're not going to see his like again, James. No, and it's a shame because Italy could really use a striker uh, like Chichi Riva. And I think uh, throughout the 90s and 2000s, there were all these kind of Hall of Fame centre-forwards that uh, used to cover. Uh, live, James, doing Gazzetta Football Italia. You think of your Del Piero's, your Vieri's, um, you know, even the lesser uh, names like uh, Chiesa, uh, for example. Um, none of these guys ever got close to Gigi Riva's record uh, for the national team, which, you know, when you compare it with, I don't know how many goals Cristiano Ronaldo scored for Portugal or Harry Kane has for England, 35 goals in, in 42 games does not seem a lot. But, um, no one post-war got near him. You know, his, his only sort of peers in that regard are Giuseppe Meazza, after whom San Siro is named, Silvio Piola, um, a guy, again, from the kind of interwar years who who is the all-time top scorer in Serie A. But, yeah, Del Piero, for example, is, I think, like eight goals behind him and obviously played so many more games. That's a do- an oddity, though, because all the national sides, all ever top scorer, comes from the 21st century. David Villa, Giroud, mm. I can tell you, Klose, all of them yeah. played in the 21st century. Yeah. Riva is such an iconic figure, partly for his role with, with Italy, but, but I guess most of all for earning the, the national title at Cagliari, which was just unthinkable mm. back in uh, the 60s when he joined there. They were down in the second division. They won it in 69-70. Uh, and perhaps would have won it again and again had he not... Um, suffered the injuries that he did playing for his country. Mm. Yeah, that's, I think, something that uh, a lot of Sardinians feel, that he was that good and made that team that good, um, that they could, have, they could have won more than they ultimately did. But the idea of Cagliari winning the league is just unfathomable um, to you know, subsequent generations. And the, the fact that he actually bonded himself and his legend with Cagliari, you mentioned it, when you introed this section, James, that he was the person who made Cagliari, well, Sardinia feel like a part of Italy for the, for the first time because up until uh, Riva's transfer, it was a place where the Carabinieri were sent to train if they weren't particularly good recruits. You know, it was kind of commonly referred to as Italy's Africa uh, and that sort of thing. So he brought Italy into um, Sardinia. Mm. 
Um, that title run actually uh, supposedly that the authorities had to electrify much the island so people could watch the games on TV <laughs> they had to install pilots and stuff convicts were arrested because they had to turn up to the Scudetti winning match, matches all, all sorts of things we detailed a lot of this in our salute to the iconic Gigi Riva in Golazzo back in 2019 loads of good stories in there about this incredible man a man who in the words of the Gazetta on, on Monday uh, scored with his left and spoke with his silence because he was an incredibly taciturn man. But what a what a figure, not just as a player, but then as the national team's uh, manager for, I think, 23 years, no? Yeah. from Team manager. Team, team manager, sorry, yeah. yeah, team manager. But it was his shoulder that Baggio cried on in Pasadena after that penalty. Yeah. Cannavaro says it was, Gigi, when he thinks of the World Cup win in 2006, it's Gigi Riva that he thinks of first because... Just what a figure. There was a lovely tribute on uh, Sky Italia last night, which was uh, a run of you know various talking heads, different generations of Italy players who'd obviously worked with him whilst he was in this role for the Italian national team. And then there was Marcello Lippi. And uh, Lippi said he's like, un grande fumatore. <laughs> a great smoker they had this real passion for for cigars and that sort of thing and and he was you know very fondly talking about just sitting with Gigi Riva smoking talking you know as you said a man of few words but when he did say something it kind of resonated he had a charisma that came with that taciturnity if you want so yeah and comes obviously two weeks after the death of uh, Kaiser Franz mm. Beckenbauer both of them locked in that Incredible game at the Azteca, or the game of the century, which you mentioned. Um, and, yeah, I think it's one of those things, like, who is the, the greatest striker in, in the history of, of Italian football? Um, yeah, I mean, Paolo Rossi passed away uh, a few years ago. Um, yeah, Rossi indelibly linked with the, the 82 win and catching fire in that tournament. Like, few Italian strikers have in a World Cup, but Riva certainly for, I think for for generations as you mentioned that iconic nickname the best nickname the, the thunder roll the thunder clap and um, yeah thunder rolls no more James. no more but will through eternity <laughs> alright Gigi Riva uh, magnificent next up let's get on to some of this weekend's football yes Rafa Bundesliga for most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell, and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Bundesliga Rafa, let's see, Bayern Leverkusen beat Leipzig with yet another last-minute goal. And then the next day, what's this? Bayern lose. Rafa, seven points now the lead. Ooh. Bayern have a game in hand. They have a game in hand. It's coming up this Wednesday. Tomorrow or Wednesday, yep. whenever you're listening. Mm. Uh, against Union Berlin, that was the mm. game that was called off because of uh, snow oh, for yeah. Christmas. Mm. 
Um, team without Bonucci now. So. Union will have a chance now. Um, <laughs> Bayern under real pressure after not just a bad result, but the performance for the first 70 minutes was shockingly bad. Mm. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, I think without being overly critical, saying there was static, there was no energy, there was uh, no sharp passing. All the things that he had apparently seen in training, especially in that warm weather training camp in, in Faro, a few days ago, were totally missing uh, when Bayern went onto the pitch against Werder and they kind of sleepwalked to defeat. They started playing a little bit later on. Mm. Tuchel made some changes, played with um, two strikers and two very attacking wingbacks in Kuman and uh, Sané. But by the time Bayern really got going, created some chances, they were just running out of time. In some ways, this was an anomaly. We mentioned Werder Bremen's record against Bayern. They'd had the longest winless run against them of any winless run against a, another opponent in German football history. Bayern, equally, had had a run of 65 matches scoring at home, which ended with this defeat. But in other regards, this wasn't that exceptional. Bayern do have games like this every season, and usually they can afford to have them. The difference this year is the uh, the boys from Bayer. Someone's read. <laughs> Someone's no, read actually, my piece. I actually thought this anyway and then read your piece. I'm like, no, yeah, Rafa oh, thinks that yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't think we're the only people to think No, that, it's but. not the most original take. But, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, Bayern on... So are you. Thank you. Bayern on 41 <laughs> points um, halfway through the season. That's usually enough to be ahead. And uh, we'd be talking about sort of stylistic problems and the Bayern not really fulfilling their potential but we're talking about that in terms of what happens in the Champions League because we kind of take it as a given that they will win the league and I think the problem is Bayern played like a team that take that took winning the championship uh, as a given um, they didn't seem to I think realize the pressure they were under by Leverkusen's win they didn't didn't seem to think that they have to have a perfect season now because Leverkusen seem to be after the perfect season. That that kind of thing hasn't the penny hasn't dropped. It doesn't seem to have registered with them. And again, maybe it's not it's not a huge surprise if you do this for more than ten years, and you always get away with it. Most dramatically, last season when they won it with a really abysmal performances and very poor points tally, maybe it's hard to convince yourself, you know, that this time is different. We have to be a lot sharper we can't afford to drop any points mm. they didn't play like a team like that and Leverkusen now are putting them at a junction you know either Bayern now will respond and start fulfilling their potential and play with the kind of sharpness and humility that that we see from Leverkusen every single week mm. or they cannot deal with that because they're not used to this anymore and things will fall apart. Um, I think it's going they, to be black or white. Even if they do come together, it may not be enough because Bayer's lead is, is even with a win on Wednesday against Union, four points is a, is a size. Yeah, they lead. still play each other. Yeah, mm. February 10th. So, so there's a chance soon. for Bayern to, to cut this deficit. Right. And um, Let's talk a little bit yeah. about Leverkusen because the game was against RB Leipzig, at RB Leipzig. They went behind, I think, twice in yeah. the game. A wonderful opening goal from Xavi Simons. Yeah, incredible. I mean, I think that goal, when I was watching it and thinking about you and your question, yeah. as a dude ahead of time, moment well of ahead of time, yeah, moment yeah. of the weekend, yeah. I, I thought that this is going to be the moment of the weekend, but right. of course, subsequently overshadowed by 
Mitchell, Leverkusen's right? yeah. uh, late winner. Oh, yeah. Okay. But worth checking because it was an unbelievable goal. Okay. Seb Stafford Bloor calling out Alex Grimaldo for his two perfect set deliveries, set piece deliveries, rather. Yeah. Uh, and what an incredible bit of business he's been. Oh, he's been sensational. Um, and Leverkusen, I think, couldn't believe their luck that they got him. They couldn't believe that the Spanish national team had not called him up. They were saying every international break, you know, what is going on? And unlike one or two Premier League clubs, they actually want their players to be in the national team. They feel that they deserve it. They, they should get the recognition and they feel that players benefit from it and grow from it. And they, they were kind of, there was almost a media campaign in, in Germany to say, you know, Spanish National Federation, wake up. You've got Grimaldo. Yeah, I really hope that Luis de la Fuente takes note of that because... You know, um, Spain persevered with uh, Jordi Alba for a long time, and he was still very good. Uh, many left-backs who were quality uh, started playing in Spanish football. Yuri, uh, Gaia, Bernat, uh, Reguilón. At the time, all of them looked like the next big thing. But I think that right now, Grimaldo is the best Spanish left-back, bar maybe José Luis Gaia, who plays for Valencia and he's incredible as well. But uh, based on the current form, Grimaldo has to be there. He's a left wing back though, no left back. Yeah, that's a difference. It makes a difference, yes. 27 games unbeaten now for Leverkusen. Should flag up as well Borussia Dortmund, who are now only one point off third. 4 0, they win at Köln. That's right. Köln, James. Köln. Um, they've only wars. been around for like hundreds of years but yeah um, second really good win performance still a bit uneven at times but better than against Darmstadt and the main talking point from this game is the incredible impact of Ian Matson, because the guy's come in he's looked like he's been playing left back for Dortmund for, for years and years um, no Problems on the ball, really happy to go forward, really happy to go back. Great energy, great pace, everything you want from a left back. But even more, because Dortmund have figured out we have these terrible build-up problems that go back a long way. Why not take a leaf from Guardiola and Klopp and a few others and put Mutzen as a midfielder in the build-up? And it had a massive impact because... Matson looked so comfortable on the ball, so happy to re receive the ball with the back uh, towards his own, uh, sorry, facing his own goal. And Dortmund were much better playing through that uh, current press thanks to him. So for a guy who's, who's young, who hasn't had any regular football um, at this level, to slot in uh, the way he has is... Yeah, it's been a huge bonus for Dortmund. So the Sancho return from the Premier League was the one that got the headlines. But Matson arriving from Chelsea, is he on loan? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he could have still finished the season for Chelsea, I think. Anyway, yeah. great player, great impact. Yeah. And right. Dortmund a lot happier at the moment. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about chocolate money. Chocolate money rained down nice. um, at that game. What a dream. Chocolate <laughs> coins. Chocolate coins. Yeah. Um, continued protest against the investor... Um, so the DFL are selling a part of their media rights. The to DFL, yeah, the league, the right. league are selling part of the media okay. rights to either CVC or Blackstone. Okay. Um, private equity firms who will, of course, get a cut. Um, let's talk about eight percent of the media rights for I think ten years, and in return, the Bundesliga will get uh, up to a, a billion euros. Hmm. 
upfront, which they can spend on infrastructure projects, and uh, a lot of it will be spent on digitalization and building up their own platform. And the fans' view? The organized fans are against it in principle. They say that the league should not sell anything to outside investors. They don't like the whole idea of private equity coming in. Um, Bundesliga have tried hard to convince people that it's necessary to keep up, not with the Premier League because they're out of sight, but with the likes of Italy and and Spain. France, not so much. We've done it already as well. What about Spain? the Saudi Pro League? <laughs> yeah, that's not been mentioned okay. uh, too much. But, uh, yeah. But talking but of... The, club, the clubs have voted for, eventually. The clubs voted for it, of course, by the narrowest of margins yeah. because they needed uh, a two-third majority and they got exactly that. They got 24 out of 36 votes. So not a ringing endorsement, if you will. But talking of protests, perhaps more important than the chocolate coins, in my personal view, um, there's a wave of protests in Germany, all over Germany this week, about the uh, right-wing party, uh, AFD and its gains and its plans. And a lot of people are, are thinking enough is enough. We have to step up and um, and show that we don't support this sort of stuff. And um, Christian Streich, the Freiburg coach, is always very outspoken about social issues. Um, on either Thursday or Friday, um, spoke about it very eloquently in the press conference. And a lot of more people now in football are beginning to... Also, Xabi Alonso spoke out mm. uh, very movingly. A lot of people in football, in German football, I think, are beginning to understand that now is the time to uh, to step up. It's interesting the world we live in where figures you would normally expect to be this kind of safeguarders of certain values at, at having gone AWOL. It's the likes of footballing people who increasingly have to do that job. Yeah, and, you know, some of them some players. of them are happy to to use their platform. Mm. And um, I think it's great. Me too. Rafa, before we move on, a quick word on Bayern's transfer policy. So Harry Kane in, Eric Dyer in... A move for Kieran Trippier. We're reading about the Wags are asking who's next. Deli Ali? Yeah, mark. Oliver Skip. Oliver Skip coming. Really? Yeah. No. Oh. Um, I mean, Bayern are looking for a right back. They're also looking for somebody, as they did with Kane, and to an extent Dyer, who will bring a bit more authority and energy to the dressing room. That seems to be still an issue that they feel that it's too quiet. Not enough people taking responsibility. And while they know that Dyer is not going to be a long-term solution and Masrawi is coming back soon, hopefully from his injury um, and being with Morocco, uh, Tuchel wants that type of player. Are they uh, going to get him? Trippier? Bayern will, will try hard. Um, I think as we're recording, things are afoot. They will try and, uh, and make it happen, see if uh, Newcastle's public stance that he's not for sale will actually withstand uh, a serious offer for mm. somebody who of course is is towards the later stage of his career and doesn't have that much left on his uh, contract so yeah let's see I mean it's it's again it shows you in a way how much power Tuchel has amassed because in the past I think Hassan Salihamidzic or other people would have said um, yeah it's a nice player but to spend now a lot of money plus wages on a player who's who's 33 no resale value that's not really us. But I think um, Bayern have become a lot more short-term in their approach. And that's being reflected in the move for Dyer and, and possibly for Trippier as well. Raf, you mentioned earlier that uh, Bayern have fallen, what, seven points off the pace. I mean, is this the beginning of them becoming more Spursy? 
Yeah. Um, what is it about this Spurs? I think it'll be very hard. Pochettino <laughs> DNA that they want to. It'll be very hard to turn by and Spurs. Um, they're so but big. They're trying. They're, they're kind of isolated against uh, insi- sorry insulated against failure by virtue of their financial power and maybe uh, we'll see the quality. out yeah seven points behind in the league <laughs> nice one raf next up oh we're off to the netherlands looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. The lastig. Openingsfase tweede helft. Geen overtraining op dist. Utrecht mag door. Lammers. Lammers, lage voorzet. En dan zit hij er wel in. Poesaid. Bekroont een uitstekende openingsfase van de tweede helft voor Utrecht. This weekend, one team in Europe had not dropped a single point in their league from the start of the season. And we're in January. One team named PSV Eindhoven. 17 games, 17 wins. This weekend, they went to Utrecht to set a new Eredivisie record by recording win number 18. Yay! Only they went and drew 1-1. Mikhail Jongsman joins us. Mikhail, this game, PSV on for the record, away at... Uh, Utrecht side fifth from bottom. Was there a huge amount of hype about this game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, PSV had looked a bit vulnerable at the end of their previous game when they tied the record for 17 uh, wins from the start of the season uh, that they um, themselves had set in 1987-88 when they eventually went on to win the European Cup. Uh, But yeah, I mean, everyone was kind of hoping for them to break the record. It's a very exciting team, very exciting coach and Peter Bos. But Utrecht, I mean, Utrecht were in good form and you could tell that the the players themselves at PSV were a bit more nervous around this game than they were in previous. So uh, yeah, there was a lot of hype and... uh, it seemed to affect PSV a bit, I would say. Okay. Well, with that monkey perhaps off their backs, they can comfort themselves with a 10-point lead that they still have a fire nord at the top of the table. Uh, Mikel, uh, meanwhile, Ajax, who we talked a lot about earlier on in the season with their disastrous start, are still there in fifth place, uh, six points off third, but they've made a major move in the transfer market, bringing in Jordan Henderson. How popular a signing has he been? Yeah, it's seen as a milestone signing for this team. Ajax have been incredibly impressive over the last few years, uh, but yeah, ever since Erik ten Hag uh, left, the, the side has imploded. And it's not just ten Hag that left, it's been Dedi Blind, it's been Dusan Tadic, uh, Lasse Schöne in, a, in an earlier moment as well. So this team really lacks some kind of 
um, yeah, experience, some backbone. Um, Edson Alvarez, another in midfield that they that they lost uh, over the summer, um, and Henderson kind of has to do all of their uh, task on his own now because it's a very young side, and everyone seems really thrilled by it. Steven Berghuis, uh, after the game uh, against RKC Valveg this weekend that they won 4-1, uh, said, yeah, we're just really happy to have someone um, that that is going to be experienced like like behind us, behind him and Steven Bergwijn, two of the more senior players. Uh, although he had a funny way of, of turning it around and said when people were criticizing him and Bergwijn that they were two of the best players and if everything is going so bad, it might be the problem of the rest of the team rather than, than there. So uh, it's, it's, going, it's not going to be an easy uh, transition for Jordan Henderson in terms of uh, coming into an environment that's, that's completely well set up, I would say. Mikel, it's, it's Jules. I'm not sure if uh, people at Ajax or the fans uh, have seen Jonathan Henderson playing recently. But anyway, it was reported that uh, his shirt with the number six, because obviously he could not wear the number 14, that would have really been too much uh, for Or maybe for not. Ajax. No, no, I think it would have been too much. Trust me. I'm not a fan at all of Jonathan Henderson, as you can tell, Mikel. I like the leadership, but for me, he's not a football player. And for him joining a club like Ajax... It's, it's difficult for me to swallow. However, my question was, it was reported here so in England that the, his shirt has been like top selling in the history of the club or something like that. Is this, is this for real? I did see that it broke records in terms of how quickly it, 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 it sold out, but uh, I'm not sure if it, it's an actual um, record. But like, to put it into perspective, like Ajax are, are a side that usually uh, creates, creates their stars rather than, than signs them. Uh, and he has, like, in, in an era where people are more keen on wearing a football shirt than in previous seasons or, or decades, I would even say. Like, uh, I can imagine, like, a player like Jordan Henderson has that kind of extra, um, yeah, uh, glamour to him, even though he's not that much of a glamorous player. But to put it into perspective, uh, out of the players that have won a Champions League and won a Champions League final, he's only the fifth foreigner, I believe. Uh, to actually come and play for Ajax after the fact. So it, it's really rare for Ajax to have a, a proven Champions League winner from uh, outside of the Netherlands in their squad. And I think the hype is, is, is really that big because of that. And it's because of the midfield just being really poor this season uh, and then bringing in someone like Jordan Henderson, who fairly recently has shown that he is able to, to compete at the top level. So, I mean, expectations are ridiculously high and it will be tough for him uh, to live up to him, uh, especially given that he's he's on a two and a half year deal, and uh, even though he's turning 34 this summer, uh, so yeah, it's it's there are a lot of expectations, and Ajax is, as you say, a big club that um, yeah that that has that type of uh, crowd expecting them to to really come through now, and uh, yeah, all eyes will be on Henderson in this case. This sounds like a truly transformational moment in the history of uh, of, of Ajax. I think Jules was alluding to the fact that. He couldn't wear the number 14 because it belongs to, to Johan Cruyff. This is the house Cruyff built. I mean, in 50 years' time, we'll be talking about, like, Hendersonian Ajax or... You no, know. we won't. He's <laughs> not that oh. someone, someone who has managed to somehow change the philosophy of this club because the, the, the reception is, is, is pretty remarkable uh, from, from, from the outside. I, I, I see this as almost like a, 
a reclamation project of English values for Ajax from the the Vic Buckingham, the pre Cruyff kind of you know sort of era. Is, is this what we're Mikael, seeing? Just He's insulting. gone there to grow the game. Obviously, Kelvin Bassi being a, a British homegrown player before and Chuba Akpom landing there last summer as well was kind of a, a yeah a prelude to to this move, I would say. So yeah, this will be. A, the the British Ajax way from from now on I I suppose now it, it, I mean it is interesting I mean uh, I think Ajax were really keen on having like that type of marquee signing because they just feel that the players that they have there from their own academy are just not up to the required level yet and um, I mean Dusan Tadic has been such a transformational signing a few years ago who is not like uh, a typical Dutch Ajax kind of kind of youth product either. Uh, so who knows? Maybe this is the Henderson era. I mean, um, it's uh, it's it's only uh, it's only six points to to get to a Champions League spot for them. So uh, who knows? Okay, the the win at the weekend four one as you mentioned over Valvig and uh, two of those goals scored by Brian Brobby. But is he now heading to Manchester United? Well, he was quite clear that he's staying in Amsterdam at least this winter. Um, but he has been he he's been improving so much over the season. Uh, when he was uh, when he was signed back from RB Leipzig uh, uh, a couple of years ago, people were were doubting whether it was a good move. Uh, he didn't really show any kind of uh, progress uh, over the first year or so. Uh, but he has been the, the one positive for Ajax so far, and he's been unplayable from time to time. He's not really been your typical goal scorer yet, but the two goals against Erkase were a good sign in that in that regard. One defender at one point said, "Like he's one of the best uh, best strikers uh, in Europe," which was a bit of a uh, overreaction, I think. But it kind of shows like how difficult he is to play against, and he's still quite young. Um, he was making jokes about, yeah, I mean, maybe they should be be calling back in the summer. So uh, who knows? But yeah, for now, that doesn't seem to be a, a real story. All right, but now he'll be staying and helping their charge towards third spot. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to catching up with you soon. Speak soon. Mikhail Youngsman. Next up, ooh, La Liga and a bit of copper too. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Aguanta Carvajal, quiere abrir para Brahim. Brahim centra, segundo palo, remata Bellingham. Gol, 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 gol de Carvajal. Y gol, 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 gol del Madrid. Carvajal marca. Spain, Alvaro. Big win for Girona. Or Girona, actually, yeah. And a return to form for that Barcelona. Ooh, and what's this? A narrow escape for Real Madrid against the team who hadn't won a single game all season but went 2-0 up against uh, Los Marengues. Real Madrid, even. Hmm? Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Yeah, for VAR. Oh, Real VAR. Yeah, Madrid. It's a scandal, yeah. scandalous. All right, so there were three big decisions and they all went against poor old Almeria who looked like they were going to get their first win against... Of all people, Real Madrid, their yeah. first win of the season. Yeah, definitely, because um, they started the game very well. Uh, they scored two goals in the first half. Real Madrid uh, didn't have a single shot on target in the first half. And Edgar's goal was beautiful. A volley from outside the box, really difficult to put it in that angle. And um, of course, uh, when the game went 2-0 uh, for Almeria in the halftime, we all knew that Real Madrid was going to try to trigger a remontada and they were capable of that. I mean, when Real Madrid loses 2-0 at home, you know that they can still make it, okay? So the second half started and um, there were three decisions that were terrifically, uh, tremendously controversial and they, the three of them um, were in favor of Real Madrid. You know, I think that the goal from Vinicius was always a handball uh, when the referee, uh, who was a debutant at Santiago Bernabéu, by the way, 35 years old referee, went uh, to the VAR mm, monitor to check that. He wasn't given all the possible angles, all the possible replays of uh, that handball from Vinicius. And uh, based on what he saw, he said that there was no handball and, they, and he gave the goal to Vinicius and it was a clear handball. And then there was another goal uh, that was scored after a penalty that, in my opinion, it was not a penalty. So basically, Joselu and Kaiki went for, uh, for the ball. Uh, Kaiki, the defender, was trying to defend his box. And um, Joselu pushed him a little bit and Kaiki touched the ball with his hand and the referee uh, called the penalty. Jude Bellingham scored it and that was the first goal that it ended up being the first one for the remontada of Real Madrid. Almeria had what would have been a third goal as well that was called back because of foul in the build-up, quite a way back in the build-up. Yeah. A, a, a hand in Jude Bellingham's face that looked pretty soft. But yeah. anyway, Real Madrid get the win and, and remain one point behind. Uh, Girona, we were talking last week about how amazing Girona. Girona. <laughs> Bo- Both are valid. Confusing. I always say the same Girona thing. Alvaro says Girona. I know, I know. Both are valid. Yeah, so last home? week we were talking about... <laughs> How great Real were looking. They smashed Barcelona in the Super Cup final in hmm. Saudi. 
done Atletico 2 in the semi-final. Since then, though, a little bit more shaky, not just this game, but the Copper at the uh, uh, last Thursday. It was on Thursday. Yeah, yes. when they got beaten 4-2 by Atletico. Diego Simeone getting his revenge there. He did it. And uh, he changed his game plan completely. He kept the substitutions for the extra time because uh, at some point he sensed that the game was going to be long. And Atletico won it. Atletico won it and... Uh, I think Real Madrid did a very good game as well. Anyone could have won. Uh, also in the Super Cup, I think that Atletico was good too. Of mm. course, they didn't create as many chances as Real Madrid, but they stayed in the game. Uh, Antoine Griezmann, who was uh, honoured oh, before the match for having become top yeah. goalscorer yeah. ever. Which was lovely. He was very emotional with his life over three kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he marked the occasion with another spectacular strike. With no angle. He scored it with the left foot. I mean, the thing with in that action is that the one, uh, the player chasing Antoine Griezmann was Vinicius. And mm. Vinicius got a yellow card in the first half for some silly complaints. Vinicius, by the way, outside the ground that day, he got some racist chants as well from mm. Atletico supporters. I don't know if Vinicius was aware of that. Anyway, during the game, he got a silly yellow. And I think that he was a victim of getting a silly yellow for himself because in that action, he didn't make a fault on Antoine Griezmann. And then Griezmann got himself in a very difficult position. Mm. And I think that... For a player, it's instinctive almost. They think that a player will never score from there. But of course, a player of equality of Antoine Griezmann can do that. And he did score from that angle. And uh, I would say that Vinicius is a little bit of a guilty in that goal because he should have made a fault on Griezmann too. Mm. Very similar to the goal that but Bremen Weiser, scored yeah. against Bayern. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Uh, Girona. Can I say something no, about Real Madrid very quickly, uh, yeah. Jimbo? Well, of course you can. Yeah, uh, just um, Jules uh, said the Real Madrid uh, thing, mm -hmm. and this is the uh, subject these days in Spain, obviously. I want to say that this game cannot be detached or devoid on the context that uh, we have two big scandals. Oh no, we have one big scandal in Spanish football, which is the Negreira scandal with Barcelona, and then we have the coercion, I always call it like this, that Real Madrid does preventively to the referee that will be calling the game against Real Madrid in three days' time, in four days' time. Well, the referee who was in the VAR room, Hernández Hernández, is a referee that repeatedly has been accused by Real Madrid TV of being a Barcelona supporter. Mm. Because 30 years ago, in an interview in a, in a diary that I don't even know if it is sixth in the Canary Islands, they asked him uh, who were his favorite players. And he said 30 years ago, before Tony Blair was a prime minister, before internet existed, mm. that he liked Romario and Laudrup. Okay. And Real Madrid TV dug up, delved into all the paperwork and uh, all the newspapers that they could find, and they found that just to accuse him of a ba being a Barcelona supporter. So I think that referees, sometimes when they go at Santiago Bernabeu, can be a little bit coerced by the fact that Real Madrid is doing this uh, non-stop. And I don't think that that's morally or ethically right. And this referee, 35 years old, the other one, not the one in the VR, VR room, okay, uh, the one on the pitch. Because if you get this interview 30 years ago, how old is he now? Um, so over 50. Okay. Over 50, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what uh, that interview was about, in mm. which context, whatever. Okay. But yeah. yeah, and this referee on the pitch, uh, the other one, not the VR one, was a young one. And I think that he, he was also not... Uh, composed enough uh, to manage a game at Santiago Bernabeu with the current context in which I'm telling you it's a little bit toxic. Uh, in my opinion, it's spurred on by Real Madrid. And as I said before, this is ethically not correct to no, put pressure on referees before the games. 
with all of that, they are still behind Girona in the league after they managed a 5-1 win over hapless Sevilla, who've now lost four games in a row under Kike Sanchez-Flores, with an Artem Dobrik six-minute hat-trick yeah. for the league leaders. Well, is there Erling Haaland, in a way. Mm. You can say that. I mean, he has scored 14 goals in La Liga, five assists. He has scored 14 from an XG of 11 this season. So he's doing the job. Girona started losing this game, and uh, they are the team in the big leagues uh, who have gotten more points from losing positions, 22, more than Liverpool. And that tells you that they've got this character. They started losing against Sevilla. A Sevilla side, by the way, that they are trying to make amendments in the winter transfer, but I don't know if they are doing it right, because uh, I have referred to uh, how experienced and subsequently old uh, Sevilla's squad is, uh, they need younger players but in this situation in particular when they have to escape from relegation maybe they need more experienced players and they have got uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> just saying it's a similar case in a way yeah, I guess absolutely. but uh, Sevilla got themselves Hannibal Mehbury from Manchester United on loan and, and a player that I, I don't know much about uh, his name is Lucien Agume and he's, been, he's yeah. French and he's been on loan for three, four different clubs. He was the captain of the under-17. Yeah, Inter. from Inter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. A little prodigy, but the move to Inter didn't work. But he played well for Brest, your favorite team, okay. uh, last season in Liga. But this is Sevilla now. They are uh, resorting to, to this kind of youngsters as well to revert the situation. I don't, I don't know if this is the right thing. The other Sevilla side this weekend, yeah. Betis, lost for the first time against La Liga opposition at home. And it was a two your friend Xavi and his Barcelona, who are looking back in form, a 4-2 win there. The, look, uh, the game encapsulated uh, the bad things that Barcelona can do and the good things that Barcelona potentially could do as well because they played well uh, at some spells. Ferran Torres scored the hat-trick. Good goals, by the way. Lamin Yamal played probably his best game in Spanish football, apart from that one at Villarreal in September. And uh, Joe Felix scored a beautiful goal, uh, goal with the outside part of the foot, a tribute to his uh, compatriot uh, Ricardo Quaresma, obviously. And uh, I think that uh, Betis, you know, sometimes had too much control of the game, especially after they scored the first goal uh, with Isco. Barcelona lost control of the game for 10 minutes, which is something that has costed them very badly in the Champions League and in La Liga over the last years. But this time they managed to correct themselves and get a win. And of course, uh, a mention to Guardado, the Mexican player, because at the beginning of the game, he got a tribute because he's going back to Mexico. He's been playing for Betis many years. He played for Deportivo de la Coruña for a number of seasons too, then he went to PSV and Doven. But he's been one of these good players who has set up the standards of La Liga, technically speaking. A good midfielder with a, a tasty on the ball, and he's been very good in Spain, really. Barcelona third, then a full eight points behind Girona, although they and Real Madrid both have a, a game in hand on the... The league leaders. Very good. We've got cup action coming up midweek. Uh, Tuesday, it's Celta Vigo against Real Sociedad. Wednesday, Mallorca against Girona. And your lot, Athletic against Barcelona. And then on Thursday, Sevilla will try and get a win against Atletico Madrid. Look forward to seeing how all of that works out. Now, Totally Football Show is sponsored by Google Pixel. And while it wasn't a good weekend for Sevilla, it was a good weekend for their former Europa League winning left-back Sergio Reguillon, subject of the latest Beyond the Frame feature from The Athletic's Jay Harris. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd... 
the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. Hi everyone, it's Jay Harris from The Athletic here and I've just been at the GTEC Community Stadium for the long-awaited return of Ivan Tony. Obviously, he takes the headlines for an impressive, clever free-kick goal on his return, but I wanted to point out something a little bit different that's probably gone under the radar. Sergio Reguilón, the Tottenham player who's on loan at Brentford, made his debut in the second half, and it was an impressive 20-minute cameo to help the team win for the first time since December. Brentford have had so many injury issues over the last few months, but the one area they've been hit the most is at fullback and particularly at left-back. Rico Henry's out for the season with an ACL injury. Aaron Hickey's struggling with a hamstring injury and is not expected to be back for a while. Even Mads Rursliff came off the pitch today with what looked like a, I don't want to call it a broken arm, but his, his arm was in some pain. So having someone like Reguilón, who's a natural left-back and full-back, very aggressive, likes to get forward, can have a good delivery, is massive for Brentford. So yes, it's great to have Tony back, but Reguilón could be another important piece for the club this season. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Sta per arrivare da quel lato del campo Kostic, il cross e la battuta di Vlaovic! Il vento di Levante, Dusan Vlaovic porta in vantaggio la Juventus. Hey everybody, let's talk Serie A. Let's talk Juventus, James. They haven't lost a game since September. They've won their last seven. They've scored, as we mentioned earlier, 18 in their last five. And since Yildiz has come into the side... Vlajevic is on fire. Yeah, Vlajevic, who at the beginning of the transfer window was subject to rumours about his future because he always looked frustrated. He's had this kind of chronic groin issue. He wasn't scoring goals. Now he can't stop scoring goals. I mean, against Sassuolo, uh, I think on Monday night, was it? He scored a wonderful free kick. First Juventus player to score a brace in back-to-back games since Higuain quite a long time ago. It's something that even Cristiano didn't do whilst he was at Juve. So that's been big uh, for Juventus because Chiesa, for example, has been injured. I wonder if Chiesa can get back into this team at the moment with Yildiz playing in the way that he has done. He's been a great signing from Bayern as part of that delict deal. Uh, I think that they, they did. And Juventus have gone from this team um, that uh, just looked to keep clean sheets and nick games 1-0 to one that, as you mentioned, James, is scoring a lot of goals. Um, they play Empoli at the weekend, and then February 4th at San Siro, there's the Debbie d'Italia against Inter. Inter's first game back from the Super Cup, which they won in Riyadh, is against Fiorentina. And the teams that went to the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia have been complaining that the suspensions that they picked up whilst they were out there, would be carried into the league as well. So Chalinolu and Barella will miss the game against Fiorentina. That's um, so bizarre, because the Coppa Italia doesn't normally have the suspensions carried no. into the league. So, so why would the Super Cup do that? Because it's Serie A, James. This, they, they make things up as they go along. So Aurelia De Laurentiis, the Napoli owner, for example, gave another press conference uh, after Inter's defeat. Because Simeone, his red card yeah, in that final yeah. was was key to into getting the late win, and now so he's going to be suspended. For yeah, it. and Ozyman's obviously away on the African Cup of Nations. They've still got Raspadori, but 
So, I mean, Inter picked up suspensions for Chalinolu and Barella okay. uh, in, in, in that game. So all of these little things could potentially have a bit of an effect going into this. It's not a title decider, but a massive game mm. on, on February 4th. And you can tell that this is not the best Juventus side that Allegri has had at his disposal. But you can see as the season's gone on, they've grown and grown in confidence. There's a real unity about this group. Um, I think every part of the team has had a bit of a crisis over the course of the season. Yeah, the defence has had lots of injuries, apart from Bremer, who's playing really well. The midfield obviously lost Pogba. You could say they never had Pogba. Lost Fagioli, the young player of the year last year in Serie A. It's gone through that. Rabio, for example, was missing mm. at the yeah, weekend. Chiesa, yeah. has anyone seen Chiesa lately? No. Vlajevic uh, obviously had his, his, his injury problems and went, went on that drought. Moise Ken looks like he's leaving. Milik's not really played as well as he did last season, even though he's come through, through big. So I think all of this kind of puts into perspective what a fine job Allegri is kind of quietly, quietly doing. Your pal Max Allegri. One point clear of Inter at the top of the table. The Nerazzurri do have that game in hand after the Super Cup participation, which, as you mentioned, saw them win the final late on uh, with a goal from Lautaro Martinez, of course. Napoli have looked better in the Super Cup. They beat Fiorentina 3-0 in the semi-final and were unlucky. I mean, the, the, the red card to Simeone was probably justified, but it had a big part to play in in them losing out in that final. There's been a lot of talk, James, about Napoli lining up, essentially, a new manager to take over from Walter Mazzari, a new manager with a very exciting name. <laughs> Would that be one Jose Mourinho? One Jose Mourinho. Is he having Surely talks not. with Napoli this week? Well, look, Jorge Mendes, his agent, has said that uh, he will have a new job soon, mm. but it can't be in Italy at least in terms of the immediate term, because, we're, again, we've just been talking about Serie A rules, James. One of them is that a coach cannot coach two different teams in the same season. So it would have to be for the following year uh, rather than this one. You know, I think, you know, obviously, Mourinho uh, was subject to some wonderful tributes at the Stadio Olimpico mm. uh, at the weekend, um, which were kind of, you know, critical of the owners of Roma, critical of the players, of Roma, but very much still devoted to the Mourinho cult of personality. So, you know, we, we saw Jose, someone who was once so associated with Chelsea, then go and work for Man United, then go and work for Tottenham. This is a man who was once so associated with Inter, who's become so associated with Roma. <laughs> you know, maybe he will work his way through City A top clubs. Yeah. Um, but I think it's still too early um, for, for there to be a, a change. So, We'll see, although we'll see. I do remember when uh, Rino Gattuso was coach and things weren't going well at this time of that season that uh, De Laurentiis was already meeting Spalletti in car parks yeah. and stuff. So okay. to, to propose that he'd become the new manager of Napoli. You know, mm. So there you go. Okay, yeah, not, not late at night in car parks. <laughs> <laughs> Napoli currently down in ninth place, but with a game in hand. Roma who are just above them, a point better off, with a 2-1 victory over struggling Verona, but looking a bit better under Daniele De Rossi. Uh, that was, I think, the take. Would you would you agree? Particularly first change? half, James. Yeah. I mean, they moved away from the system that Jose has been playing for the last couple of years, which is a back three, so they played with a, a back four. Quite fluid, Dybala, Pellegrini, 
playing. El Shuari played really well as well, got a couple of assists. They should have been home and dry in the first half. And then the kind of nerve set in. They gave away a penalty, which Verona luckily missed. Uh, and then Rui Patricio, the goalkeeper, well, he kind of lived up to his nickname in Rome, which is Rui Pasticcio. <laughs> Rui Rui mess made a mess of a shot which to go back to Alvaro's point about XG uh, Hmm. earlier which you said was a 0.08 eventually it was was a long time a 0.81 so for shot (laughs) yeah which was from like 30 yards had a 0.01 XG seriously and Rui Pasticcio so one in hundred throw it into Uh, his own goal that um, goal was more difficult than the one Yes. scored. Yes. According to the number crunchers, yes. Anyway, okay. a win for Daniele Di Rossi and his uh, debut as Roma manager. Milan winning again their match, uh, 3-2 at Udinese. But that was a game marked by another episode of racial abuse with uh, Mike Mannion, the Milan keeper, uh, leading his teammates off the field after repeated insults from uh, some members of the, uh, the crowd at the... Uh, the Dasher Arena. That's now the Blue Energy Stadium. Sorry, the Blue Energy Stadium. <laughs> right. Let's talk about what happened there and, and the response to it. So, I mean, the game should have been abandoned because um, as much as the referee, Fabio Maresca, follows the protocol, which is kind of like three strikes and you're out, mm. um, there was a third strike. And, you know, it came after the game resumed following a suspension. Udinese, who were 1-0 down, scored an equaliser a few minutes after the game restarted. And there was a video circulating online of the aftermath of that goal, taken from behind Mike Mignan's goal, where there is one individual who shouts racial abuse, the same racial abuse, 12 times Mm. at Mignan. And if the referee had been made aware of that, if Mignan was aware of it, the game should have not end continued and ended 3-2 for AC Milan. It should have finished 3-0 in the 41st minute to AC Milan. So, you know, I think, um, you know, ultimately, Manian had to come out and play knowing there was a racist sat behind him for an hour, at least one. Um, now, in terms of the response, yes, James, yeah, we often talk about the dilapidated, crumbling infrastructure of Italian football with stadiums that have an average age of at least 60 that were built for the World Cup in the 1930s, or at least the Blue Energy Stadium, as it's now owned, is one of the few modern stadiums. It is telecamered up uh, within every inch of its its life. And so they were able to identify um, one of the perpetrators relatively quickly, who has not only been given a kind of football banning order, which has a limited duration of just five years. Udinese said, look, we are banning this guy for life. He will never be allowed to step foot in the stadium, there'll be a separate police investigation um, as well uh, that is currently ongoing. But yeah, I mean, Menian in every season that he's been in Serie A has been racially abused. You know, be it in Sardinia when he played against Cagliari, be it in Turin when they played against Juventus, be it in Udine against Udinese. Racism is not a football problem, it's a society problem. It's not just an Italian problem, although this does play out in the context in which, you know, there was a a commemoration of, uh, uh, of, uh, of of a couple of activists on the right who were killed uh, in which, you know, there was a crowd doing a uh, Roman salute, which then a court ruled uh, is fine as long as it's in a commemorative context. Um, so, you know, 
<laughs> ordinarily a, a a roman salute would uh would, would constitute an offense but we've now got courts saying well as long as it comes in a specific kind of context it's absolutely fine which you know i don't think is uh you know as raf was talking about the the right wing far right sort of uh beginning to be more and more vocal in germany certainly in italy um at this moment in time there is there is a lot of that going on i wouldn't say endorsed by Giorgio meloni's government because uh, meloni's been uh, quite pragmatic since she's been in charge, but certainly I think um, only kind of in- enables and ingo- emboldens having that kind of politics being front and centre. Right. Yeah, troubling times the world over. Nice to see some swift action happening about that, but a lot more clearly needs to be done in Syria and elsewhere. Next up, Jules, at last, yes. La France. Coupe de France. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Coupe de France, Jules, give us some headlines. Bosch. Yeah, Saint-Priest is the uh, the Minos. Right, in the another Saint. Another Saint, exactly, <laughs> yeah. like Santa Cristina. They, They're from the fifth where, tier. They're from the fifth tier. They're where not far where from is Lyon. Saint-Priest? In, so near Lyon in that area, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, the president, I think, ni- nicely said uh, after the win. They are a saint. <laughs> they said they are sent uh, after the win when on Sunday against uh, Romorantin, so a team from the fourth division. It was not a big upset then, but it's, a bit, it's big that they said the, the cup is like the cherry on the cake, but with raspberry and blueberries. Damn, like wow. a gateau, he probably said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So who've they got in the uh, quarterfinals? It's a very good question. They play Valenciennes at home, don't the they? 16 next. Yeah, time. Valenciennes were bottom of the Ligue 2, so okay. the championship. So right. they have a big chance to, to qualify. Okay, I see that Nantes and Will Stills Rance both got knocked out by a lower-tier opposition, Stade Laval and Sochaux, respectively. The holders are out too, Toulouse. Yeah. They got done by Rouen Sunday evening. Rouen. Rouen. Yeah, Rouen. Rouen, one of the historical clubs in, in the game. third division. Yeah. Oh, nice. We had amazing penalty shootouts because you did in that between, game, um, Rouen scored all the 12 penalties. Oh, did they? Yeah, they won 12 11. Right. So they we didn't were... get one Rouen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice. No, to the point that we one guy even shot twice. Really? Because we restarted. We had a big penalty shootout in the Rennes Marseille game because yeah. Bruno Gattuso is out. Of the French Cup, uh, and this time finished 9 8. Okay. Uh, Lyon, down the road from Saint Priest. That's right. They beat uh, amateur side Bergerac on Friday. Bergerac were down to 10 men. Yeah, and just about. It was not pretty from Lyon, but okay. they won. And one of the two new players, new signings, Malik Fofana, the uh, wonder kid oh, from yeah. Belgium, 18 year old, did really well. And now we're waiting for Gift Orban to um, the other signing that they have. Remember when he was outstanding for Ghent? Yes. When he went, when he came to Europe. Yeah, waiting for him to make his debut for them. Not the, the only gift that they're hoping for in Leon. A Jules, A raises his Yeah, eyebrows. although the story about Karim Benzema. Karim Benzema. Maybe them trying to bring him home. Yes. Is right now certainly. Now Jordan's really left. What point is there? Yeah, I mean... Kareem the has been. No, come on, behave. You should behave. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it'd be interesting to follow. I just don't think it will happen. You don't think it's going to happen? No, maybe in the, in the future. boyhood club? No, I think he wants to. He wants to uh, leave. Well, sometimes he wants, sometimes he doesn't. He's, he's not sure if it's a good idea to go back where he all started. All right. We've seen in the past that it didn't always work. So mm. we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Monaco is for sale. Is it? Finally, yeah. yeah. Okay. Ribol of Lev, who bought the club for one euro in 2011. Apparently, he's, he's uh, waiting to hear if there's potential uh, buyers. He owns 66%. You remember he bought the club to have the Monaco passport uh, and he's still waiting. 
He hasn't got the passport yet. No, no, he got done no. badly. Yeah, yeah. He invested a lot of his own money after buying the club for one euro. And right. The prince still was involved in the biggest divorce payout. Of yeah, massively. Yeah, yeah. I remember he bought a flat in New York for his daughter for eighty-eight million dollars as well. One flat. That's that's just one flat. Uh, and he's obviously still involved in Monaco Gate, which is a big uh, scandal, where they find out that his lawyer was very, very close to some like uh, police and justice people in oh, the okay. yeah, in the principality. So. so. Painful. Great guy. Painful Ooh, 13 years. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Painful. <laughs> Prince Albert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, any word on who might be buying it? Is it some local businessman who's made good? or? I don't It seems the, the Americans are quite keen. Are we they, just don't right. know exactly how much it's worth because, as we know, the, the, the fans are great, but not many of them. Yeah. Uh, so, the revenues can't really grow much much higher. So, they lose money every year, really, yeah. even with the, the, um, the tax heaven that they are. So, it's just not an easy sale, I think. Oh. Be. All right. Would Excellent. the royal family intervene? Well, yeah, they own the rest. So he's on 66%. Could they left. buy him out? They own, I don't think that's... Here's uh, a passport. We'll take the That's club. not what they want because they don't want to put their money in the club. So they need someone right. rich yeah. to do what Ribble of Left has been doing for the last 12 years. Mm. Like redo the whole training ground for 50 million, all that kind of stuff. He also paid for... Um, the A and E at the hospital. Really, himself still no passport yet. So but they've sold so many players just over the years. Surely yeah. that's is that not enough to keep the club no. going? Well, certainly they the last two or three years they've made losses. Even even when they sold really well last summer, and there would be more sell like for Fana and other people this summer. But yeah, the revenues are just too low. So good lord. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that and uh, Karim and all the other big stories next week on the totally football show for now that wraps it up many thanks to you Jules Rafa Alvaro James Liam and Charlie in the booth and you most of all you listener uh, we're back on Thursday with a regular totally football show perhaps you'll join us for that and now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the totally football show part of the athletic podcast network discover bonus video content by searching for the totally football show on youtube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally the athletic